Well, good morning, Forest View. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we hope that in the midst of this Christmas season that is very different from Christmas seasons past, uh, that, that you are discovering joy and hope and peace and love. Uh, this morning, we are going to be continuing our Advent series called Advent Mixtape. But first, uh, I want to tell you about uh, some, well, some experience I have every summer. Uh, we have a family cottage. My dad shares it with his uh, siblings. And so we get to head up there a couple weeks every summer. And one of the things that I always secretly look forward to or I, I enjoy is that up there, there are all of these old editions of celebrity magazines. You know the ones that when you're at the grocery store, you're on your way out, you're, you've got all your stuff, and it just draws your attention over to it. It's like, I don't know what they're even called. But there's a whole bunch of different ones, and they always have celebrities on the front. And often what they have are terrible pictures of these different celebrities doing things that normal people do. Uh, things like taking their kids to the park or going out for a bike ride. If you go and you open up these magazines, uh, you'll go and you'll see all sorts of different things. It's like, oh, look, they're just like us. They go out for bike rides or they uh, have to take their dogs for a walk and sometimes they have to clean up after their dogs. Here's a picture of Britney Spears getting a coffee. And the thing that I love most is that all of these magazines are incredibly dated. They're about seven, eight, some of them like 10 years old. And so none of these celebrities are significant, at least in the world's view, anymore. And yet I find myself drawn to them, laughing at them. Uh, but one of the things that has stuck out to me the most, uh, I just need to transition to this, is Bill Murray. Because for most of you who are probably familiar with Bill Murray, he's a famous actor, celebrity. He was one of the most popular uh, movie stars for a season of time. He, he was in Ghostbusters. He was in a movie called Stripes. He was one of the original cast members for Saturday Night Live. He was in a, uh, a classic comedy called Groundhog Day, um, which was about a guy who would wake up and experience the same day over and over again. And it was a hilarious movie until that became all of our lives in 2020. Now, Bill Murray, huge celebrity, but for whatever reason, he just seems to see this whole celebrity aura, whatever it is we want to call it, as being absolutely, utterly ridiculous. It's like he doesn't care about it at all. And while he could go and make any movie he wants, he's often picking odd, strange movies, not ones that are going to be huge commercial box office hits, but rather just things that he's interested in creating. And he has this reputation for showing up in incredibly unexpected places. He'll show up at a party. And when I say a party, I don't mean like a celebrity party or a bunch of elites. Someone will be just, maybe your neighbor is just throwing a party and he will happen to be there. He is known to just walk around New York and just show up at places. Or there's actually stories about people being out for a walk in New York City or in some other major city and suddenly someone coming up behind them, putting their hands over their eyes and saying, guess who? And as they pull their arms away, the person turns and looks and it's Bill Murray standing there smiling at them. And he just says, no one's ever going to believe you. It's like this whole celebrity thing means nothing to him. It's a joke. It's a farce. And he is just enjoying life. Well, as I said earlier on, we are doing our Advent mixtape series. This morning, we are looking at the song of the angels found in Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. We're going to be starting at verse 8. 
Now, this is the shortest song of all the different songs that we've looked at that are included in the Gospel of Luke, but it packs a punch. So if you've got your Bible open, I want to encourage you to read it along with me, starting at verse 8. Let me just give a quick bit of context. Jesus has been born. There was no room for Mary and Joseph in the inn, and so they found themselves... um, in, in uh, this place with a manger. That's the place that they were talked about. Um, they wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Here we go. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, here's our song, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And so these shepherds out in the field, it's just like a night like any other, probably cold, maybe they're warming themselves by the fire and suddenly an angel shows up and declares to them that a new king has arrived. And suddenly they find themselves surrounded by the host of angels proclaiming glory to God. Now, when we hear this word glory, it means praise, it means renown, it means splendor. It's often used to describe the the lights that come from the celestial spheres in the ancient world. So what they believed about the sun and the moon and all of the stars. And so they're out in the middle of the darkness, maybe staring up at the sky And all of the sudden, light from everywhere comes. And it's bright and overwhelming and beautiful. And this song is proclaimed to them that says, you think that this is incredible. You ain't seen nothing yet. As remarkable as the show that you are seeing right now, the spectacle that you are seeing, it pales in comparison to to what is really glorifying God, which is the arrival of this new king. Now, this language that the angel uses to describe the arrival of this new king is incredibly provocative in its original context. Notice the three titles that the angel introducing or or giving this message to the shepherds give. He names the, he calls this, this newborn king the Savior, the Messiah, and Lord. Now, in the ancient world, the terms Savior and Lord were terms used to describe the Roman emperor. This is the person who is in charge of the entire world, or at least that's how they saw it. This is the person who ruled, called all of the shots. And so this angel goes and proclaims, well, no, wait, you think that this person is actually at the top of the food chain, but realize he, he doesn't even compare He calls himself, he claims himself to be Lord and Savior, but there's actually someone else. 
And right there, sandwiched in between these two Roman terms is the word Messiah. This is God's anointed. This is Israel's redeemer, the person who is going to save them that they had been waiting for for decades and centuries, who is going to come and to set them free. This is an announcement about a new king and a new kingdom. Now, these kinds of announcements were not brand new for the people of Israel. Actually, for anyone living in the Roman world, whenever there was a new king, whenever the, the particular emperor had expanded the reign of Rome, they'd conquered another country, another area, they would go out and they would proclaim their message to the entire world. In fact, often if there was a new emperor or they'd conquered some new land, they would have this massive parade where they would march through and they would actually have soldiers standing behind them singing songs to glorify the emperor, saying glory to the emperor who brings peace to the world. Now, a quick list of all of the emperors that would have happened. The, the, most people, most biblical scholars uh, gauge that the gospel of Luke was probably written in around... Um, uh, 85 uh, common era. So that's, uh, again, it, some people think it might be about 10 years before, five, 10 years before that, but generally that's sort of the consensus amongst many biblical scholars. So just to give a little bit of a gauge, from the time of Jesus, uh, right, if you go back one slide, if you were to go and talk about, the, or here, Augustus. So he was the first emperor of Rome. He reigned from 31 BCE to 14 CE. Then next came Tiberius, then Caligula, Claudius, and Nero, okay? So all of this, uh, again, Augustus was the one who we heard about at the original start of uh, the Gospel of Luke. He's the one who's calling the shots. He's the one who says, hey, everyone go and be counted. I'm having a census, and whatever it is you're doing, we're Wherever you live, you drop everything and go where he wants you to go to be counted. The emperor is understood to be the person who calls all of the shots. And yet, so we have emperor after emperor after emperor after emperor brings us to Nero in 54 to 68, common era. Uh, go to the next slide. After that, we have Galba, Otho, and Alice Vitilius. For those of you looking for baby names, you're welcome. And, uh, and so we see that they, this was a little bit of a time where there's a lot of flux in the empire, all sorts of different people, um, multiple different people. Some of their reigns were very short, January to April, July to December. Uh, and then after that, we have Vespasian, Titus, and Domitian. So most biblical scholars, if Luke was ha in fact written about 85 common era, that would mean that the ruler was this guy, Domitian. And, and the interesting thing about this is that if you are the original audience reading Luke, you have seen all sorts of emperors since the time of Jesus come and go. You've heard all sorts of reports about their massive parades and their spectacles. You've heard the chants and the songs saying, glory to the emperor who brings peace to the world. You've heard this over and over and over again. And yet, and yet, as you, as you read this, you listen to this, they would go and proclaim this message of Pax Romana, this idea of peace in the Roman world or the peace that the Caesar or the emperor would bring. And yet you would see this and go, this doesn't really make any sense. I mean, they talk about peace but, but this is a peace that's entirely done through military victory. This is done through coercive, violent power. That's what keeps these people in their 
place. In fact, it's not just the people of Israel who would have been critical of this, but there's quotes from even people within the Roman Empire. This is uh, attributed to um, a guy named, in his history book, Tacitus, uh, uh, quoting a guy named Calgacus. Here's his quote. They have pillaged, he's speaking about Rome, pillaged the world. When the land has nothing left, the men who ravage everything, they scour the sea. If an enemy is rich, they are greedy. If he is poor, they crave glory. Neither east nor west can sate their appetite. They are the only people on the earth to covet wealth and poverty with equal craving. They plunder, they butcher, they ravish, and call it by the lying name of empire. They make a desolation and call it peace. They critique the Roman Empire saying, yes, they, they are able to achieve nonviolence, but only through their violence. It is something that can only be maintained and held with having their boot on other people's throats. And they have this insatiable appetite to just continue to conquer and conquer, to consume and to take away from people. Now, it's interesting that the, actually the words that are used here, the language that's used to describe angels is the word host, or we, we translate it as host. It's a military term. So essentially it says this army of angels shows up. And instead of saying glory to the emperor who brings peace, these angels proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on whom his favor rests. Here we see an alternate picture of the world, not where the emperor is at the highest level, but rather glory to God who is the highest rank. Glory, glory to the God who is above it all, who is rules over it all, who reigns over all of it. And they proclaim peace. And this proclamation of peace is not one achieved through violence or coercion, but is achieved through a child lying in a manger. This is a different kind of king, not one of spectacle, pomp and circumstance, not one of violent, uh, domineering force, but, but this is one who comes to us as an infant child, not who comes in all sorts of fanfare and privilege and prestige, but is lying simply in a manger. This is the kind of king that Israel has always longed for. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17. This is uh, from the Torah. So this is essentially what the, the commands about what does it mean to be the people of God. And so one of the things that the people of God want is they want to have a king. And so this lays out what are the qualities they should be looking for in a person who is the king. Because the king's job is to rule over and to care for God's people and to reflect God to the people. And this is the command that is given for the king. This is what the king is supposed to be like and what the people of Israel are supposed to strive to see in their king. It says this, when he, being the king, takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. So these are all the commandments about what the king is supposed to be like. 
I'm skipping to verse 19. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. He is not to consider himself better than his fellow Israelites. This is to be a king who rules in humility and faithfulness to God. He's not going to turn to the right or to the left. He is going to be going straight after God in all that he does. Now, again and again, throughout Israel's history, they had king after king, and each one failed to live this out perfectly. And yet, this baby lying in the manger is one who lives in perfect humility. It reflects a God who is incredibly humble, who's not caught up in spectacle and this desire to show off It doesn't stem out of any insecurity that God has, but rather in gracious, self-giving love. In fact, this God not only doesn't consider, this king, Jesus, does not only, does not consider himself better than other Israelites. This is is a king who actually loves his enemies. Those who would actually seek out to push him away or, or actually put him to death on a cross, he dies on the cross for them. This is a God who remains perfectly faithful, who doesn't give up. And this is a king, Jesus, who does not turn to the left or to the right, does not seek his own selfish ambition, but instead in humility continuously follows the calling of his father and brings about not just a long reign, but an eternal reign. In this, we see what God is really like. Uh, Rabbi Jokinen, he, uh, he was writing around about a hundred years after the time of Jesus. He writes this, Wherever you find the greatness of the Holy One, blessed be he, there you find his humility. This is written in the Torah, repeated in the prophets, and stated a third time in the writings. It is written in the Torah, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God, who shows no favoritism and accepts no bribe. Immediately afterwards, it is written, he upholds the cause of the orphan and widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. For this rabbi, he he just states, uh, just to reframe it, he says, wherever you find the greatness of God, there you find God's humility. This is not a God who views himself, or Jesus is not a king who views himself as better than everyone else, but rather in sacrificial love. He becomes nothing. He takes on the form of a servant and experiences death on a cross to reconcile all of us to God. This is not a God who is obsessed with the kind of glory and praise that our culture and our world revels in. This is something completely different. Turn with me to John chapter 12, verse 23. This is Jesus. He is speaking to, uh, well, a bunch of different religious officials and his own followers. 
And he says this, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. So this is the hour. This is the moment where you are going to see just how glorious and amazing and incredible God is. And then Jesus says this, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So Jesus, when he's talking about what it means to be glorified, to to show and to reveal just how glorious and incredible God truly is and the, the incredible way that God is going to be glorified through Jesus's life, He's not talking about the amazing things he's going to do and all the easy things that are going, or uh, people coming and, and lifting him up high and, and, and being exalted above everyone else. He, he is talking about the cross. He is talking about living this perfect act of love to reconcile a broken world, sinners like you and me, to God. Skipping to verse 27. Now my soul is troubled And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then uh, skipping to verse 30, Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. So God speaks and says, I've glorified it and I will glorify myself again. And Jesus says this, your your voice, uh, it was not for, this voice was not for your benefit, but mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So for Jesus, the ultimate glory, the kind of glory that he shows is not a big, massive parade. It is not fancy robes. It's not great spectacle. It's not even light shows. But rather, the greatest glory we see of God is in Jesus Christ, living in perfect sync with his Father, giving up his life to to conquer sin, and evil, and death, to to bring judgment into the world and to save us from our sins, that that we might know and live with God, that we might be drawn unto himself. There's this amazing story about Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, In 2005, January 27th, she was at this special event at St. James Palace, And uh, it was the 60th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. And so typically for a woman like the queen, specifically royalty, they're very busy. They're very punctual. You go in, you arrive at a certain time, and you leave at a specific time. But this particular night, the queen was ignoring her schedule. In fact, the amount of time she was supposed to stay went way, or she went way past the time that she was originally supposed to stay. Instead of leaving at the original time, she stayed and spoke because there was a large group of Holocaust survivors present there. And she took time with each and every one to listen to their stories. One particular person was so just thrown off by the whole experience, uh, just surprised that a queen would come and would give her the time of day. She said, 60 years ago, I didn't know if I would be alive tomorrow. And here I am today talking to the queen. 
these men and women had been treated like they were subhuman, that, that their lives had no value and worth. And yet here was the queen listening intently, showing to them the same kind of respect she would show to any other head of state, laying aside her schedule, her time, and all the different things that she had to do to simply listen. When I think about the queen, I don't think a lot about the royalty, but uh, you, know, you think about the crown and you think about all the different things that, that, that make the queen the queen. But, but when I hear this story, I think that's the queen's glory. <laughs> when she's able to lay aside all the pomp and circumstance and actually honor that person. I mean, and that's just the queen. How much more so? Jesus, the, the, the Lord, Messiah, and savior of the universe who comes to us not in violence, not in domination, but rather in love and self-sacrifice to bring us back to God. Luke chapter two, let's just conclude with this part of the story. Uh, So the angels have heard this incredible message And it says this, or sorry, the shepherds have heard this incredible message. Here's what it says. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. They've been extended an invitation. The king is here. And you have the opportunity to welcome the king. This is typically not the work that's given to shepherds. People who are usually pushed off to the margins, ignored, not really cared about. They don't hold a significant place in the society of ancient Israel. And yet for whatever reason, the angels appear to them and say, no, go and meet the king. Come, go and see. And that same invitation is available to each and every one of us. To, to go and to see the true King, King Jesus, to, to submit our lives to him and experience the new life that comes through him in his reign. We hope you have an incredible Christmas. Would you remember this? Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on those his favor rests. The God who deserves the highest praise and glory is the God who made himself low. Is the same God who instead of proclaiming a song of violence and destruction of wrath that we all deserve as sinners, is God who comes and brings us peace by dying on the cross and rising again for us. That's the heart of Christmas. May you know the peace that comes only through Jesus in this season.